Today on the WSJ Media Mix podcast, we speak with Bloomberg Media CEO Justin Smith about Facebook's fake news problem, why publishers are ceding power to tech platforms, and why Bloomberg is betting big on sponsored content. Welcome to the WSJ Media Mix podcast, bringing you interviews and analysis with people that matter in the fast-changing media business. Hello and welcome to the WSJ Media Mix podcast. I'm Stephen Perlberg. I'm here uh, with Jack Marshall. Jack, how was your Thanksgiving? It was great, Steve. How was yours? It was good. Um, I'm glad to, you know, you had a nice American, Americanized Thanksgiving. It, it was a Friendsgiving. Friendsgiving? Okay, cool. Well, we, we're back. We're back in the podcast booth. I know our listeners have uh, been long awaiting our return. And we are joined, we're really excited to be joined by Justin Smith. He is the chief executive officer at Bloomberg Media Group, previously worked at The Atlantic and uh, some other media companies. So, Justin, thanks so much for joining us. Thank you. Delighted to be here. So, we, we, we want to uh, return to sort of the, the Bloomberg-specific stuff a little later, but we thought given sort of the big story in the news world over the past week or so, um, we should start with uh, sort of the fake news problem. We haven't talked about that yet on the on the podcast um, in the wake of uh, the election. So I guess broadly, um, there's been sort of this like hand-wringing in the media world in the wake of, tr- um, you know, the, the Trump election of sort of how this happened and how the media missed it. And part of this is, you know, to what degree did fake news in people's Facebook feeds or across the internet contribute to, um, you know, to, to, to the outcome? Uh, and there's been sort of hot takes delivered on, on both sides. So we were sort of curious to start as a, as a media executive, what your, what your take is on all of this. Well, thank you for having me here. It's great. Um, God, what a, what a couple of weeks it's been in the news world. Uh, unprecedented. You know, I, I think it's, I'm certainly not in a position as a media executive to say, fake news did or did not influence the outcome of the election. I think there's a certainly, but there is certainly enough evidence to suggest that there was tons of fake news out there. And that fake news was uh, pernicious. It was created, you know, with ideological sort of negative malintent. Um, and I think the other fact that's emerging, though I, 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 it's all still emerging, is that the vast majority of the discovery of that fake news actually was coming through social platforms. I think there was a study that came out yesterday. This is all very hot off the press. So yesterday or two days ago that said, you know, these some 50 percent plus or majority plus of the of the instances of of surfacing some of this some of this content come, came from Facebook uh, and Google discovery. And I think, you know, that um, obviously I mean, that, that that fact, if it if it is corroborated, I think has significant implications for the media industry, both in the short term, medium and long term, because it plays into, you know, the the the, the epic media debate that is underway or not, not so much a debate, the struggle of, you know, of how to save quality journalism, how to discover quality journalism and how premium quality journalism based brands like The Wall Street Journal uh, and Bloomberg and others are going to sustain their business models in the face of, you know, the incredible strength, growing strength of these platforms in the digital advertising market. And, um, you know, so I have my own personal theories as to why this, you know, this this fake news uh, crisis, which is, is just is one of several potential sort of emerging chinks in the armor of the of the great duopoly that is that has emerged that everyone is talking about because it sort of taps into that right like it's the perfect we were talking about this ourselves like it's the perfect story that journalists sort of love because it's got like you know facebook uh journalism fake fake fake, like it's this sort of perfect some good headlines in there there, and it really taps into the the deep-seated fear that media companies do have about facebook 
Yeah, and it's absolutely, you know, you know just, I, I've, I know that I've listened to a few fewer po- podcasts, and you guys don't mind getting a little bit nerdy on the sort of the details of, of media, it. but but it ties in also specifically to, you know, the future of digital advertising in a sense, because, um, you know, if you look at, you know, everyone, certainly the, the flavor of the month is that Google and Facebook have 85% or 90% of incremental digital mobile growth. There's that famous uh, Morgan Stanley study in Q1. They're the third quarter results of Facebook and, and Google, just this third quarter, where Google grew by 60% on a, on a huge multi-billion dollar base, and Facebook grew by 40%. And there's that DCN study that said that everyone else, you know, basically basically lost. And so, but what's interesting, if you know, I think per Bloomberg's estimates, um, Google will do $73 billion of advertising this year, and Facebook will do about 27, so $100 billion together. The $73 billion that Google um, gets is virtually 100% direct response. It's below-the-line advertising that has rapidly shifted over to the Internet. And so, um, which means that you know, the world of premium publishers is really no longer about direct response. Classified advertising is way, is way gone. It's, it's about those branding dollars, which I think are shifting over you know, at, a, at, a, at a, a very rapid pace, but a slower pace. And branding dollars are, and the, and the power of a branding experience is incredibly related to context. And I think that as, you know, so while direct response advertising is sort of, context is, is, is much less significant than the offer. Buy this now, buy this now. The feeling, the associations, the emotions tied to a brand are really relevant to context. And I think CMOs have been, you know, pouring their dollars into these, uh, into these environments because of great data and great accountability and great ROI. But I think that when the, the, the context piece of it, which is what kind of content are we around, what is the experience, has not perhaps, perhaps come to the forefront of their thinking. And this fake news crisis, I think, brings that really, really, really front and center. Yeah, it's sort of the, the same dynamic. I mean, I think what you're talking about is obviously the shift to digital and the way that online advertising has sort of evolved over the past few years. There's been sort of a divorce of, of content and advertising. Advertisers don't necessarily care about the content they appear next to they just want you know the person sort of looking at the screen at the other end um so i mean is that sort but that, of but, but i think i mean i think that's not i mean there is again one could you one could quote studies left and right but there is i think ample evidence across the years both in traditional media and also now in new media that actually environments that are tied to and signaled by really really trusted brands actually can have significant lift or positive impact on branding results, the actual data surrounding how a branding campaign actually affects, affects an individual or target consumer. And so I think, so my hypothesis is that since, you know, three quarters of that 85% of digital mobile, digital advertising that's, that's in that duopoly is really going for direct, for direct response, the battle has not yet been lost or won on the branding dollars. And um, the premium ad- premium publishers, you know, though everyone is sort of called to see a saying. We've never this, had anybody in this podcast booth that hasn't claimed to be a premium publisher. <laughs> <laughs> premium publishers, who are claiming All publishers pre- are premium. Some are yeah. more premium than others, maybe. Is Something that? like that. <laughs> this, is, this is called the premium media mix publisher yeah, exactly. podcast, right? Um, but, uh, but I think that, that publishers who produce premium content, can, you know, actually, there is, a, there is a lot more potential uh, because of some of these chinks in the armor that are emerging to actually fight for some of that incremental market share. Which, which already is frankly overstated because, you know, I think that figure of 85% is a gross figure. It doesn't account for actually the, the net figure, the money that goes back to publishers. Um, and, you know, and there are a number of other, I think, uh, de- you know, developments tied to this, this question of the duopoly that I think are going to position 
um, premium publishers a little bit more positively than I think the conventional wisdom, which is which is the sky is falling. Yep. So, so, so how does this all color your uh, outlook on sort of the the big debate in media about you know, publishing to platforms or you know really publishing to to Facebook and 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 Google AMP and Snapchat and some of those channels because you've got some of your competitors in the digital media space that have sort of gone all in on that and um, and I think you've been a little bit you've been vocal that about the risks there. What what is your outlook on that going forward? Do you think because if they're right and there is a real viable business model there, Bloomberg and the others that that might have been taking a you know a I don't know a, a more cautious strategy might be left in the dust. Do you think about that? Yeah, I mean, I think so. One just to correct the record a little bit. I mean, we we have definitely spoken out specifically against the terms by which publishers are being asked to participate on these platform arrangements. And I think we've said things like, you know, there there haven't been too many publisher platform deals that have resulted in a, in a really exciting, you know, f- commercial success. Um, so that, that's been, and, and, and because of the um, the nature of Bloomberg's media's business model, which we're, we're embedded in a much larger financial services and information company, we haven't had the short-term financial pressures to actually, you know, to desperately try to work with every single platform, and therefore we've been able to just to, to hold back. That's not compared to say, with, say, a, a venture-backed. Exactly compared to yes, who's looking, whose whose valuation next round of valuation is based on you know the number of eyeballs they have and the, the engagement and how much revenue they can, they can bring in. So we so we we absolutely recognize the power of the platforms and we absolutely part, participate in in many different platform have that Twitter, partnerships. Twitter live streaming deal around the debates as well. Well, right? that, well, that's one of the, I mean that's one of the most interesting ones. I will talk, come back to that in a second, but no, but we you know obviously we actually do work very closely with Apple News, um, which is which is done very very well. We work with. Facebook, we work with LinkedIn. You know, we've been a little bit more reluctant on in, in terms of actually in, embedding our content onto other people's platforms and giving them control of the monetization. Um, and we've been working, frankly, ourselves on a lot of technologies internally so that we can mimic or east, you know, compete with the speed of the download speeds that some that instant articles and AMP and others are offering offering publishers and having some success. But when you're when you're reaching, you know, the Leaders of the global business and financial community, which is a very kind of it's a it's a it's a mass niche, if you will. They're all around the world, but they're highly educated, uh, highly discerning customers, very high disposable income. Um, the you know the, the, there are ways to monetize such a valuable group of people at higher advertising pricing, at better subscription pricing than actually um, you know than, than than outsourcing that to a platform who ultimately has a mass model and is not used to actually differentiating between a CEO and an intern in terms of serving up an ad against them. And so, you know, as a as a as a re, as a sort as a kind of alternative to remnant or an ad network, you know, if you've got tons of extra inventory, which is not our case, it's interesting. Um, uh, the alternative, of course, and I think this may be where the future of, of publishers and platforms will go, is actually finding much more mutually beneficial relationships between publishers and platforms. And we have, you know, we found this. Um, I tweeted uh, recently or a few weeks ago that, you know, our partnership with Twitter is, is you know, is, this, is the single most mutually beneficial thing that I've seen a publisher do with a platform. Here, Twitter has amazing distribution. They're obviously bringing video onto the platform. Uh, we did the four presidential debates. We shared in the advertising sales process. It was a very equitable, equitable advertising sharing arrangement. Everything sold out. 
Uh, we did, I think it's it's public. We did three and a half million viewers on, uh, which was you know not the level of a of a, of a network at this point, but you know with pretty little sm- small amounts of promotion and and a, and a short uh, lead time to getting it ready. It was it was a it was a really remarkable performance, and we're building off that and now streaming two of our. Uh, three of our actually daily shows, Bloomberg Technology on Twitter, uh, as well as What Did I Miss with Joe Weisenthal uh, and our show with all due respect with John Heilman and Mark Halpern and, and seeing huge, significant, significant audience uh, uplifts from from uh, from our existing channels. So, so is that a case of the platforms being more flexible in the way that they work with publishers? Because I know some of the big platforms, you know, it's fairly set in stone. It's an ad revenue share and it's X percent or, you know, it, yeah. there is some variation there, but it's not. And I guess the second half of that question is, are you as sort of a business publisher, I mean, you have a different set of considerations uh, when working with platforms versus like an entertainment publisher, for example. Yes. I mean, I think, first of all, we're, to that last point, we're, we're just less beholden, I think, to their audiences because, you know, while some of the general interest stuff that we produce at Bloomberg is very relevant in a Facebook feed um, uh, or in, in a Twitter feed, some of the more specific financial business um, professional information is just is just not that's not the consumer habit or the professional consumption habit of finding out how to do how to get information for your job is not fulfilled by the by clicking on the on the on the on the on the big blue app the Facebook app or or Twitter now LinkedIn is obviously you know would be a natural platform to fulfill that and you know while they've done that in sort of niche areas and specific places with their feed and with their influencer program it's not obviously become as ubiquitous as a tool for um, you know, for for information uh, delivery purposes, but you know, to, to, to your first question was, is, is, are things changing with the platforms? Or, and I think that you know, the the, the Twitter deal is, you know, obviously, this is a new new uh, concept for them going into the video space. They're looking for partners who want to be experimental, and and I think you obviously, when, when you're beginning something fresh like that, you you have a different sort of set of parameters for, or, as opposed to if you're the 800 pound gorilla already established in a place and you're adding your 5,000 and first publisher. Um, but even them, even Facebook, and I think even um, some of the other platforms, you're seeing some of the terms shift. Uh, I think the platforms are, 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 are secretly and perhaps not so secretly acknowledging that much of the engagement which drives their their revenue, their business model, actually is driven by publishers' content. And that, you know, especially when they get huge scale as they do and their growth potential as an organization is less focused on adding more individual users, but rather deepening engagement, I think... And they're realizing that this relationship is really important. And you're seeing shifts where revenue percentages that are being given to publishers versus the platform are now going oftentimes sometimes to 100%. Uh, I think on instant articles, if you're selling your, 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 your own inventory into it and so on. So there's definitely a pendulum shift. All right. Well, we're going to have more with Justin Smith. going to take a quick break right after this. News on the go. Whenever you want it, wherever you want it. WSJ Podcasts. Listen ambitiously. Welcome to the WSJ Media Mix Podcast, bringing you interviews and analysis with people that matter in the fast-changing media business. All right, we're back here with Bloomberg's Justin Smith. Uh, we were just sort of talking about uh, the, the, the platform approach, um, but now to to the other side, the more traditional side of the business, um, there, there have been sort of widespread print struggles uh, in, in the industry uh, as of late. Um, the Journal hasn't been immune to that at the Times, and uh, I believe it was last week, the week before, Bloomberg announced a, a sort of a, some, some layoffs and a restructuring at, at Business Week magazine. 
um, sort of felt like maybe more changes are afoot as well. Um, so I wanted to ask sort of the status with that and, and how you think kind of going forward um, that your news operation might be restructured, restructured to deal with, you know, the crazy media environment that we live in today. Yeah. Um, well, I think just to, to step back and to, and to kind of frame what Bloomberg Media's strategy is overall, obviously we're part of Bloomberg LP, and you know one of our main raison d'etre is, is to add value to the to the core Bloomberg business in a variety of different ways to, to the terminal through through influence, through branding, through other connections which we can create. The media company itself, um, we've been really really hard at work the last three years, um, building out a couple of kind of key sort of global. Um, principles, strategic principles, and one to uh, to being incredibly multi-platform. So to focus all of our efforts on uh, on multi-platform expressions of content and multi-platform opportunities for monetization. And this is come. This is this is it's sort of anchored in the digital space, but obviously uh, moves out across to our five platforms we operate in, which is print, uh, um, live events, radio, audio. Um, and uh, digital and digital video. Um, the second thing we've been doing across the last couple of years is really globalizing. Bloomberg's a very global company. The, the, vast, the, the majority of our revenues as a company are actually ex-U.S. And so we've been really busy building out this multi-platform foc- uh, uh, business model across, across different parts of the world, in the Middle East, in Africa, uh, in Asia Pacific, in India in particular, and around the world. Um, and finally, focusing on the business and financial audience. I mean, we see that as a critical differentiator. Is that we are, you know, we we um, there are plenty of places to get general interest news. There are plenty of places to get entertainment news and so on. And um, you know, the Bloomberg brand, the Bloomberg skill, the Bloomberg capability is around really understanding and focusing on this audience. And so we've done. We've had lots of strategies. Uh, and announcements and developments and partnerships tied to this multi-platform global expansion and focus on business and finance. The Business Week news actually is you know, is, is exactly that. We um, Business Week was lo- it was largely a, a, a U.S. centric magazine. Um, we did a lot some international editorial, but its business model was very U.S. centric. Um, it was largely a single platform play up until now, focusing sort of really f- focusing really on print. Um, and and it was sort of general and it, interest and it had, in the field and, 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 a little and bit. It, well, it, I think it sort of it, would, it certainly had a business and finance focus, but it it sort of it, it had flourishes of, of of interest around non-business issues and so on, and looked at that quite broadly, which 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 was very successful. Um, uh, it also had a business model that um, you know that was really focused on uh, you know on more of the traditional print advertising model, and that therefore the lack of the multi-platform approach. So, really, what we did uh, across the uh, last couple of weeks is just is to reorient Business Week uh, in the same direction as we reoriented a lot of the other properties. And so, you, you know, we're going to relaunch the, the brand. We're going to make it a lot more multi-platform. Uh, we're going to make it a lot more global. Um, we're going to shift, I think, a lot of the uh, business model burden from ad revenue to reader revenue, something which you guys know well about at the Journal <laughs> <laughs> and, um, and have been very successful at. In fact, you know, we probably should be um, trying, to, trying to poach some of your uh, fantastic digital marketers. This is getting so meta for the <laughs> WSJ Media Mix podcast. <laughs> but um, anyway, so that's what we're doing, and, uh, and it's, it's, it's very consistent with our broader, our broader efforts. So is that, I mean, you talked about sort of I guess moving away from advertising ultimately is that what does that say about the broader advertising industry? Well, no, I, I talked. I was talking specifically about the Business okay. Week 
brand uh, as it currently is configured is largely a print um, sing- dominated by a single pl- print platform brand. And I think that any that that um, if you if, if if that's the model that you have in 2016, you really need to diversify quickly and mm-hmm. look at alternative sources of revenue because. Uh, you know, I'm, the, the the future of print advertising is 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 not is not bright, and that's just a, a reality we all have to accept. Um, and the future's podcasting, yeah, so. of course, <laughs> of course. So um, yeah, so it's not it's it's not that print won't have a role. It's just that the you know having your business model tilted in that direction is not necessarily the wisest uh, strategy. So talk a bit about what you're doing with um, sponsored content. Again, this is something we talk about a lot on the podcast, but um, you know, a lot of publishers are sort of investing in that area. I think you guys have um, an in-house, I don't know if you refer to it as an agency or content creation department. Um, you have like a marketing services division. I'm not sure if those are related or the same thing, but uh, is yeah. that sort of an area that you're investing in? Or? It, hugely. And I mean, I think um, I'll start with some statistics, and, and these are, I think, quite standard across the industry, so I'm not patting ourselves on the back here, but I mean, our, our custom content uh, business is uh, is up 50% this year um, and is growing you know, extremely rapidly. We've, you know, we've, we've built out um, a, you know, a 50 plus person strong um, uh, creative content insights data team uh, that are, you know, that are working directly with our clients and with agencies um, to to produce uh, really really appropriate customized experiences for the Bloomberg audience, and about how much of of your business does that make up? I think overall, I mean, I think it's it's getting cl- it's probably getting close to half, you know. And we and we are interestingly, you know, I mean, Bloomberg Media for a large at, at scale media company is a majority digital media company, so b- majority digital both in terms of our audiences around the world, which are much much larger. So, for instance, our our digital video audiences actually uh, around the world are larger than our television audiences. Um, through, um, and also from a revenue perspective, our advertising revenues, our, our largest segment of advertising revenue is actually digital. Um, not quite majority, but moving, but, but could be majority this year depending on, on, the, on the end of the year. So we're in a slightly different position where we're not starting with a, you know, a, 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 legacy, huge, yeah. a, hu- a huge legacy, legacy brand. Um, but we actually we have a we have a um, so marketing the custom content unit um, agency I just mentioned. In addition to that, and sort of adjacent to that, and partnering closely with that organization is a new marketing services capability that we've that we that we built. We hired a guy called Stephen Filing a few weeks ago, a few months ago now, who uh, ran uh, Visium, a, uh, an agency, uh, and who is tasked with taking Bloomberg's insights and knowledge of the business and financial segment, uh, which, you know, obviously we have a, a significant edge over, over others, perhaps uh, alongside you guys, and taking those insights and, and, and formulating marketing plans, ideas, strategies focused around content for, for our clients, both not, not only to be uh, used and, and distributed across our channels, but also onto other channels. So that's an agency, Essentially, I mean, is that is that the plan to compete with agencies? And well, I I think that the you know the ecosystem is sort of is morphing and merging together. I think that there are certainly functions that we are taking on that were more some of were, some of them were more traditionally held, held by agencies. Um, but our plan is not to 
directly compete with the agencies. Our plan is to to bring the unique assets and capabilities that we have, the knowledge of the audience, the knowledge of how to create content for this audience, and then collaboratively working with the client and the agency develop you know very very uh, unique solutions that are that that will re- that will resonate with this audience which is which is which is a very different audience than than other audiences sort of switching gears here wouldn't be a uh, interview about bloomberg without this question i i, I suppose but what what is the future of Mike Bloomberg, you know, with it, within the company, and to what extent is he kind of involved in the? This is obviously reporters love to know, like to what extent he's uh, involved in the media side of things these days. Well, he, I mean, he is. Um, he returned to the company uh, about three months after I first started. Um, I oftentimes joke that I had two first days on my job, um, <laughs> and uh, but you know he he assumed uh, the reins of the company. I mean he's the he's the CEO, he's the founder, and you know he's acting exactly as you'd expect a CEO CEO and founder to act. Um, he's he's very involved in everything, and I think he's really enjoying it. I suppose like you know he he obviously has a different sort of non media background, but. Um, what's it like, sort of, in this in this digital environment, dealing with him and you know, sort of walking him through and getting his take on all of these like changes? Like, I'm just kind of imagining you showing like Mike Bloomberg Snapchat. Like, is that what is that what's happening, or, or how, how does that kind of work Listen, every day? I think he, I mean he's he's very curious about all these. You know, you got to remember Bloomberg is. Um, I think someone said I can't. I don't know that that Bloomberg is one of the longest standing um, sort of growing and surging technology companies that has not been disrupted. It's 35, 36 years old. Um, so it's an incredible, and, and technology is at the core of the company. We have, um, you know, f- three, 4,000 engineers around the world. You know, we're, you know, unlike a lot of the other media companies in New York, um, we actually have engineering talent pools that are not so dissimilar from Google and Facebook and Snapchat and others, where obviously the vast majority of them are working on the Bloomberg Terminal, uh, which is our core business, but it is a a technology culture. It's um, at its core. Mike also was an an engineering uh, major, um, and so I think a lot of this stuff is is very second nature to him. Does that sort of insulate your business a little bit, the fact that so much of the wider company's revenue is tied to you know terminal sales like like you said you know it's sort of a different structure than most media companies so does that allow you to i mean you know for example invest in things like bloomberg tv which is you know an expensive undertaking and and, and things like that and and does that uh, free you up to maybe be more experimental you know what it does is it i think um it gives us a sort of a an asymmetric advantage at this moment in time over some of our over our competitors because it, you know, it's obviously the, the the state of media is is not not quite crisis, but near crisis. I feel I would like it's say. always near crisis <laughs> in media. <laughs> near crisis, and um, you know, and I and I, I think that m- most uh, most media players who have media only business models uh, are you know are obviously you know pulling back, are trying to retrench, or trying to transition these models. And it's just at, at this exact moment, we can benefit from a business model that's different, that allows us to to invest and to to, 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 to look at the long term. And I think that you know, our goal is to be the number one global business media company in the world, and um, we're on our way. Do you think, you know, just wrapping things up here, I guess, with the sort of wider digital media landscape, we, we ask a lot of our, our guests about this sort of notion that we're 
heading towards some great digital media shakeout. It's been talked about, it seems like, for the past 18 months. Um, Has the music stopped? Is the music stopped? When will the music stop? Like, do you share this view that we're heading for some, you know, digital media apocalypse? No, I, I think I, you know, I, I definitely think the the music has slowed down to a very slow tempo, and people are looking at, you know, what chairs are left in the in the ballroom, um, and I, I think there will be there will be a lot of consolidation. I think there'll be a lot of, um, uh, and 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 some some not so not so pleasant consolidation. I'm sure. I think it's it's. I think what, the people that be squeezed are those that are um, kind of in the middle, in the middle of many, in the middle demographically, in the middle scale-wise, in the middle in terms of their focus on a certain type of audience. Um, not quite, know, not quite big enough, but not quite niche enough to like exactly. Sustain. And so, and I think that, that you're going to see really. I think that's those are the businesses that the platforms are going to effectively uh, end. I think companies that are that have um, really specific target audiences that have specific information needs and specific advertising communities around them are going to and good and really strong brands tied to that and quality quality journalism at the core I think will will do will do well um, but it's you know it's still going to be a struggle given these transitions underway but um, and I think one you know one or two of the big new scaled new media players will you know will survive because they've been able to you know, to crack the code on you know on this total, totally distributed model at massive scale, and even if they're making you know tiny amounts of money on you know hundreds of millions of people, that model might work out too. All right, cool. Well, Justin, thanks so much for for joining us. We really appreciate it. Uh, thanks everyone for listening. We'll catch you next time on the WSJ Media Mix podcast. Keep tabs on the markets. Listen to WSJ's Money Beat podcast for straight talk on Wall Street. That's right on the money. WSJ Podcasts. Listen ambitiously.